The race for Kansas City mayor takes a dramatic turn. I'm Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star's editorial board. You are on Deep Background. And joining us now to talk about all things Kansas City politics are my friends Bill Turk with the Star and Steve Bachrot with the Star. Thanks, guys, for being here. Thank you. Co-host Leah Becerra has taking a well-deserved week off. She'll be back next week on Deep Background. Okay, so the most one of the most stunning stories in local politics in my memory, Steve and Bill, was the announcement that Jason Kander, the former Secretary of State, now has an interest in being Kansas City's mayor. You sort of had the scoop. Before we get into the gritty details, how did the story come about? And it was the most closely held secret, I think, <laughs> in politics in many a moon. Yeah, well... Uh, I think it was last Wednesday or Thursday night. I was at the newsroom and we got a tip that um, uh, got a tip that Jason Kander was thinking of running for mayor. And my first reaction, probably like a lot of people when they first heard the news, is it sounded preposterous. <laughs> uh, you know, I think everyone had had p- Jason pegged for higher office, uh, bigger political ambitions than uh, mayor, and you know, as the night wore on and as I started reaching and hearing from more people the more I became uh, convinced that there was something to it. And then eventually we got enough, uh, me and my colleagues, uh, we got enough confirmation to uh, to run with the story. And um, then Jason confirmed it with me on a phone call Sunday night. So, um, you know, it's just kind of how the news came about. It was, uh, uh, I think a lot of people... Uh, safe to say that they were surprised by uh, yeah. this development. We, we should make this clear. Reporters get preposterous tips all the time, <laughs> and it, it's very hard not to sort of say, oh, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, and I'll work on it in the morning. But and you got to try and track it down. You guys tried to track it down and did a great job on that. Uh, but it's safe to say, Bill, isn't it, that uh, it was once confirmed uh, it surprised just about everybody, both on the merits and just the the timing of it and the the fact of it. Oh yeah, I mean it was a seismic event in this campaign, and uh, I think over time we'll, we'll learn more about how this happened. I, I I am certain that he didn't just wake up one morning and say, "Say I want to be mayor." Uh, there had to have been some groundwork laid for this, and uh, so I think we'll hear more about it. And that. one assumes that some thought went into it, too, well, that yes. it wasn't a, you know, wake up on Thursday and go, Friday, I think I'll run for mayor. Right. Jason Kander is not that kind of politician. No, he's a guy who's always looking for the main chance, and so, yeah, there's obviously more to But it. there's an argument that it, it actually has a national impact. I mean, the Washington Post wrote about it. CNN wrote about it. You, you know, you didn't get that when Alicia Kennedy got in. Mm-hmm. So, and precisely because of Kander's national visibility after he lost to Roy Blunt, right? Yeah, yeah but look, if he, had, if he had pursued this 2020 thing, I mean, he'd be another guy running around Iowa. Let's face it. I mean, look at all the people that are in this race who have a lot more... Um, on the resume than he does, you know, so I think he faced, if he wanted to pursue that national strategy, I mean, if he really thought he was going to be a player in 2020, I think he faced a pretty tough, a pretty tough sled. Yeah, there was some suggestion, Steve, which hasn't been confirmed, but let's just talk about it, that in essence, people were telling him, no, you can't run for president until you run for something like governor or mayor or some other office. Do you think that played any role in his decision? It could. I mean, he, you know, what he he wasn't exactly um, 
clear about that whole issue. I mean, but I think if you're reading... But he was in New Hampshire. He did go to Iowa. I mean, that speculation is very real and very obvious why it took place. Right. Um, But I think like Bill said, I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, 2020 is going to be tough for any Democrat. Um, You know, I think, you know, Trump has not done well uh, in his approval ratings, but they're inching upwards. And... You know, this 2020 is going to be a very contentious presidential campaign. And, you know, for for a guy like Jason Kander, and I, I, I'll throw out this caveat. I, I said this in social media earlier today that conventional wisdom is no longer a reliable gauge for political <laughs> determining political outcomes. But having said Only that. Only deep background can give right. you that. <laughs> <laughs> but having said, having said that, I mean, his last run, he lost. He did. He probably overperformed what he should have given that. He's going against Roy Blunt, and Missouri was a deeply red state in the 2016 elections. However, you know, when you're coming off your last political campaign as a loss, um, that's not a great bona fide for your presidential campaign. Even even with his work with the Let America Vote, which is a voting rights advocacy organization, um, you know, I think in the eyes of the broad American voter, they'd like to see some more legislative uh, experience in a, in a presidential candidate. Yeah. Leaving all the Washington stuff aside for a minute and ambition in 2020 aside, though, why would Jason Kander want to be mayor in Kansas City? And why, if he does want to be mayor, in your view, and Bill, I'll ask you this the same question, and why was he not more visible in Kansas City area issues prior to this announcement? I think that's what surprised a lot of people is you didn't see him sort of raising his visibility, even a, a slight degree, in Kansas City, at least as far as we could determine. I mean, he wasn't going to community groups and he wasn't giving local speeches. And and yet, so out of nowhere, here comes his candidacy. Right. Well, and I saw him Monday night. Um and I saw him again Tuesday morning. Those are the two times I've seen him in person <laughs> in a very long time. Correct. Um, you know, just in a, in a short period of time after he makes his uh, mayoral campaign known. Um, you know, he he's going to be attacked on that very issue in this campaign. Uh, I, I, I can't think that his opponents won't try to latch on to this idea that, hey, here's a guy who was uh, uh, casting about for, for higher office and for whatever reason he decided... I'm going to run for mayor, um, and he's going to he's going to have to fight that by showing some fluency in municipal issues. Yeah. Um, Is he the front runner, Bill? Um, I think you make an argument that at the, at the very least he goes you know to the top of the top tier. Um, Certainly, Jolie Justice believed that, and some of those dominoes, yeah. which we'll talk about in a minute. But. but I think you have to, and I think Steve is right about the conventional wisdom, and even all I'll say is that. The, the roadside is littered with the carcasses of candidacies where the where someone was the prohibitive front runner six, eight, ten months out. Correct. And this is a long time, and a lot can happen. A lot of vetting. I mean, for all the, we don't, for all the the popularity of Jason Kander's brand, there's a lot we don't know about him. Right. And the same things that might work in a statewide race, like putting a gun, you know, together blindfolded, may not resonate quite as much as Kansas play and Missouri. Here, no. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, he can raise lots of money. We assume that to be the case. Although I think there's a little. I got some blowback on that over the last couple of days. 
uh, from people who believe that Cander's nationwide network will not be overwhelmed by his decision to run for mayor. I mean, if you if you're in Iowa, do you want to write him a $500 check so he can be mayor? Maybe not. So it might be that might be a little overblown. Mm-hmm. But the other reason why he might rise to the top of the the list at least 10 months out is you don't see any other standouts in the field or people that are prohibitive favorites. Now, you know, Phil Glenn's an attractive candidate. I mean, I don't want to, you know, go through the whole list, but each of the candidates has an argument, Quentin Lucas, others. And so a lot can happen over 10 months, but you don't see anyone in that field where you would say, boy, that's, you know, candor is going to really have to work hard to overcome X. Is that right? Right. But you have to remember, the bigger the field, um, and we don't know how big ultimately end up, you don't have to get that many votes. I mean, it's not like you have to command a huge number of votes. You, you identify your vote, identify your base, get a few more votes outside your base, and and you can compete in, in, in most cases with these people. Yeah. Well, and the th- uh, just to jump off of that, too, I mean, if you look at the last several Kansas City mayors, let's start with um, Mark Funkhauser. He had been auditor um, you know, at City Hall for several years. Uh, Kay Barnes came came from you know city council in the eighties. Uh, Emmanuel Cleaver was a city councilman before he became mayor. Um, Sly James was involved in some city issues before he got elected, although he had this that was his first elected position. But that's all to suggest that in Kansas City, you've typically had this ground up movement into the mayor's office from you know lower municipal positions, this is the first time that I can think of where you have somebody who had been on a broader platform coming back to Kansas City uh, to, to run for mayor. And I think right. that's a, you know probably a little jarring in some respects, given the last 20, 30 years of history that yeah. Kansas City's although, had. Although, although, Cleaver was the last sitting councilman to be elected mayor, which was 1991. And so right. that, that, you know, that's a generation in which Barnes was at least arguably outside the council structure, right. and Funkhauser outside the council structure, although obviously at City Hall, and then Sly as well. Maybe that's what Kander saw as well. And maybe Kander saw that there and the people around him that there would not be someone so uh, commandingly popular that he couldn't be or she couldn't be overcome right yeah i mean certainly not from the standpoint that uh i'm guessing that you know that they couldn't be overcome i think jolie justice would have been a formidable candidate i think quentin lucas is a formidable candidate I think Stephen Miller is a formidable candidate, and I, you know there are others too. I'm not uh, looking to exclude them, but um, you know that those are those are the names that have kind of been um, out there among the chattering classes. And the, Phil Glenn. And Phil Glenn uh, as uh, or Scott Taylor, Scott Wagner. Right. I guess Scott, we'll go through the list. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you going to say? You know, for a diamond uh, for a diamond. Yeah. candidate. Yeah. So so they're all in. They're all people who are known quantities. Um, right, and they're looking at the math that Bill talked about, which is you don't need. Fifty thousand votes to get to the primary or get to the final. Right, you, you know, six seven thousand votes might be enough to get you to the second place finish, and then it's all bets are off. Mm-hmm. So why did Jolie Justice get out? And a and why did she endorse Jason Kander that day? All I know for certain is what she has told me, which is that you know she got a call from Jason some time ago that said, "Hey, this is what I'm looking to do." Um, and that I think she, you know she she had she had long in the tooth mayoral aspirations. She announced last year she formed her committee last year that you know this is what she was gonna that she wanted to run for mayor. 
Um, she acknowledged that she was kind of disappointed. Um, and as far as I know for certain, I think she, you know, she, she had worked with Jason in the legislature, so she knew him and she felt like, Hey, I can get behind his candidacy. I can run to defend my seat since I'm not termed out in the fourth district. Uh, like probably will save her seat. Uh, although, you know, Jeff Jolly could, could run a, a, a surprise campaign against her. We'll see. Um, it was probably the safest bet for her politically. Um, she can stay in office, most likely. And, you know, as far as I know for sure, that was that was the calculation. Yeah. Let me ask you this, uh, Bill, and then I want to go to sort of what issues we may be talking about in the coming mayoral race. But w- when Steve talks a little bit about the ground-up nature of mayoral candidates, I think in part what I think he's referring to is the idea that even candidates who are not members of the council are sort of in the fabric of the community. I mean, they're, they know business leaders. They've been on boards. They, they're, you know, they're, I mean, Kay Barnes was not a stranger. Uh-huh. Slade James was not a stranger to the sort of, I hate this cliche, but the power structure of Kansas City, if uh-huh. you will. But Kander is a wild card in that way, right or not right? I mean, do we think that he is well known in the chamber types and the banker types and the no but here's the thing there is a um there's two i I think there's two strains of thought here one is i I do think some voters feel that there's something presumptuous or unseemly about a guy who has not paid his dues and at least not visibly especially local voters and local races they want to know what have you where have you been what have you done for me where 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 have you what have you fixed where were you on the airport when everybody else was part of that discussion But I think there's also, particularly with a city of the ambitions that this has, especially maybe among millennials, if they actually want to vote, they kind of like the idea of a mayor who's on MSNBC a couple of times. Correct, a correct, and, and that's they may what like it, the idea of, of somebody with a national profile. No, that I think that's right. I mean, you want to see your guy on Meet the Press. It's mm-hmm. not just the L.A. mayor or the mm-hmm. or the Miami mayor, mm-hmm. and the, and Candor may have that going for him as well. Yeah, and I would jump in too that you know that th- th- there is this idea that's kind of floating out there that you know it's almost like this image that jason kander was raised by the wolves and just came down <laughs> from the hills to announce his <laughs> candidacy for mayor he represented kansas city for two terms in the missouri house he's on the budget committee and this was at a time where the democrats in missouri uh had at least slightly more influence then than they do now um so it's not as though he's entirely you know this idea that he's divorced from Correct. the issues yeah, that uh, are and, and that's not to defend him but that's just to acknowledge a basic reality that um, you know, this idea that, you know, because he was secretary of state and then spent two years um, or, or spent the last year and a half with right. Let America Vote does not necessarily suggest that he is clueless about the issues. Right. Oh, I agree with that completely. I, I guess my only argument would be, and I'd love to get your reaction to it, is had, had uh, Kander simply gone from a House seat to run for mayor, no one would have thought twice. I mean, that that's the, a natural progression. That happens all the time. Or had he lost to Roy Blunt after winning Secretary of State and then come back and said, no, I'm rethinking my future and 90 days later I'm setting up an exploratory committee. I don't think anyone would have blinked. It's the idea that he lost, went off, raised money, you know, did the national thing, hired staff, and then all of a sudden, without really uh, laying a visible predicate, hey, I'm offering myself to be mayor. That's just a, it seems like a that's an unusual path. You're right. He wasn't raised by wolves, but he wasn't 
you know, he wasn't here in a way that we understand mayors typically are. Right. But that's why the news is surprising. That's why we're talking about it today. (laughs) Well, but again, if he had been in the House and decided to run, yeah, we'd talk about him in the context of everybody else. It's just the uniqueness of this path that I think is so compelling. Well, let's move on a little bit to talk about the mayor's race more generally, Bill. What are the issues going to be in the next 10 months? What, What will the people, in your view, want to know about all of these candidates? I think one thing they're going to want to know uh, is what now for areas of the city other than downtown? We have all the civic energy and and the center of gravity has been revitalizing downtown. And I think what people are looking for is some notion of how do we get other parts of the city to share in that success, in that commercial economic success. And that goes to housing. uh, It goes to jobs. And so I think that is, I think that's pretty near the top. Along with other things, inevitably the mayor doesn't have anything much to do with directly, it was education and crime. I mean, I think that's, those are going to be at the top. You think that's right, Steve? What do you think the mayoral candidacies will swing on in the next 10 months? Yeah, I think I think Bill sets the landscape pretty well. You're going to have a lot of talk about downtown versus, you know, the surrounding neighborhoods and the su- suburban areas. Um particularly because, like Bill said, there's been so much attention focused on downtown. You get, you talk to people in Brookside or other places and are like, well, what about us? And the downtown folks will say, no, 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 you got to keep the foot on the gas with downtown because that's better for everyone. And you know, the, the candidates will have to sort out some of that discussion. I think affordable housing is going to be a huge issue. It's already becoming uh, something that um, is being talked about quite a bit in terms of, you know, a multifamily apartments. Um, can people, you know, can people afford them? Um, does the city give too many incentives to multifamily uh, developments that then or, or have incentives more broadly? I mean, I well, think yeah, that's clearly in- an in- issue. incentives is clearly coming back, and that is such a pendulum issue. You know, if you think back to the K Barnes days, where you know incentives were uh, uh, like salt; they were everywhere. Um, and just and, to, to pause here quickly. Funkhauser, Mark Funkhauser, that was his central issue, he was made, it not, he in made, his election He campaign. made TIFF a winning issue, which yes. was one of the biggest surprises of that uh, 2007 campaign. Um, and then the pendulum shifted the other way. Uh, you know, my slide, James, I think he's been more judicious than some of his predecessors about incentives, but I think he's been fairly generous in keeping the door open for developers. And now there's some concern again of, you know, are we giving away too much? So that'll be an issue. I think water rates will be an issue. Uh, water and sewer bills, which used to be once every two months and just a few, you know, easy bill to pay or it's right. becoming a lot harder. Uh, I think that's going to become an issue. Crime, local control of the police uh, department. Um, you know, Kansas City remains the only large city that has uh, its control delegated to a state or governor appointed board. Um, that's an issue. I think, you know, do people feel safe in Kansas City with the increasing, the ever increasing violent crime rates? Um, in, in, in certain areas of town. Uh, I think those are, I think that kind of sets the table for kind of the, the, the broad range of issues. Yeah, I, I, we'll I would add only about. the airport and the progress on the airport, I think, will be at least something the mayoral candidates will talk about and a vision for how you best assure that that project goes off as hitch-free as possible. Right. Well, and I think, too, that mayor, that candidates will have to 
try and come up with ideas and policies that they want to espouse because there were a lot of things that we had talked about as big city issues that are now getting done. Uh, the convention hotel, that was something that was talked about under Funkhauser's administration. Now, you know, that uh, project is being constructed. The airport, as you mentioned, um, you know, so I think there, I think you'll see some candidates try to formulate some new ideas, things that we're not talking about right now, uh, new priorities that they want to set yeah. forth. But what what role will Sly James play, Bill? And, and not just in terms of endorsements, but he, you know, at the end of his second term, he he is extraordinarily popular still with much of the public. So the idea that you could run against Sly James or against his vision for Kansas City seems a little difficult, although maybe Alicia Kennedy, for example, may be one of those. But um, but broadly speaking, you'd get the sense that people kind of have some faith in City Hall now. They approved the geo bonds. They did the eighth of a cent tax. They may consider this three eight cent tax for uh, early childhood education. You don't get a sense of sort of, uh, and, and maybe that's because the economy's in pretty good shape, but you don't get a sense of sort of roiling unrest in the public that uh, against the James administration that would uh, you know benefit any of the candidates now in the field to follow. No, I don't. I don't think any, there is any upside for anybody in running uh, on what went wrong in the Sly James administration. I do think, and we don't know this yet, and maybe we will find out. But he may have already had a, a decisive role uh, in this election uh, in terms of Kander's entry. We don't know what the conversation was between uh, the mayor and, and, and Kander, and we don't we, know. We know whether, that he had one at some point. And we don't know whether he um, he got in front of Jolie Justice somehow, or he because uh, it was pretty clear that you know, he, she was the closest to him and was probably someone that he saw as a successor. But we don't know if uh, he stuck up for her. Right. Did he, you know, say, yeah, you got to step aside? We don't but, know and, and there's some uh, there's some chat, as you know, that the mayor might endorse Kander at some point. We'll see, I mean, mm -hmm. and to the extent that endorsements work. But you don't see, at this point anyway, sort of a passing of the mantle, do you, Steve, anywhere from James to any candidate or the idea that, People would say, boy, I really like the way Sly James ran the city. Who would best follow that tradition? Nobody's really making that argument. It's not apparent. It's not apparent uh, to me yet, and it may not be until right near the very end um, where where he lies uh, in terms of who he would want to support. And he may sit it out altogether. I mean, he's always... He's always tried to craft this idea, not one that I've always necessarily believed that he's apolitical and he doesn't really get involved in political right, stuff. Right, I mean, right. he does. I mean, he's a politician. Politicians do politics. But, you know, he, he may sit that he may sit that out or he may make an endorsement. We'll see. Right. He has but, a history of endorsing candor. Right. And yeah. and uh, and the, if, you know, we always assume that the mayor, James, may have some ambitions to be at least some voice in the Democratic Party. He's been up to Iowa and some other, not to, not that he's running for president, but he, he does go to other parts of the country to campaign for Democrats. And so he would know candor that way. But I'm not really thinking so much about endorsements as the idea that, uh, you know, Kansas Cityans have a, typically have a bit of a contrarian streak. After Cleaver, you got Barnes. After Barnes, you got Funkhauser. After Funkhauser, you got James. Each of those elections could be seen kind of a, as a repudiation of the mayor before. You know, Barnes being not, you know, Cleaver and Funkhauser not being Barnes and James not being Funkhauser. 
but but the satisfaction, if you will, with City Hall seems like that won't be a dynamic this year, uh, whoever emerges. Do you agree with that? Or, I mean, you, you may it's feel differently. No, I know what you're saying about the, the pendulum. Yeah. Um, and I think that James was such an original in so many ways that uh, I'm not sure people are out to sort of either replace him or repudiate him or duplicate him. Um, Right. What I I always found fascinating, frankly, is I think some of his early success is clearly attributable to the fact that he was not Funkhauser. I mean, Funkhauser was such a disaster that people, whoever won was going to do a good... But we kept waiting for James to somehow fail in a way or come back to earth. He never really did. I mean, you know, among some folks, he's a frustrating presence. But in the public, he seems as popular as ever. Well, the, yeah, I mean, the shine has come off of him in some ways. I think the airport thing, um, even though it got passed, I think the process which he set the course for was so uh, just uh, a disaster. D- disaster. Yeah, it was. It was bad. But do um, people blame him for that to this day? I mean, in part well, because no, of his own decision to sort of back away from it. But well, in a lot of ways, in voters' minds, you know, the, the end was that the airport got passed so the means somehow you know the means right. don't matter quite as much anymore um but you know as as, as far as people's views of city hall i think you know if you look at the citizen satisfaction survey uh you know while the while the rate while the marks have increased for people's trust in uh city leadership they're still not terribly high and there's still the same issues that people have with city hall about and they usually come back to basic city services you know as you know, trash pickup and uh, streets, uh, curbs, right. sidewalks, things of that nature. So those are still issues that um, uh, that, that that you know are everlasting uh, with with City Hall. And you know, I mean, I th- I think Sly has been successful in a lot of big ticket items. Um, and you know, this three eight cent sales tax is a way to sort of cement a legacy for something a little bit more broad than right. um, you know an airport or a convention hotel. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there's still plenty. There's still plenty of issues that people have with City Hall. It's, uh, it's, but you know, I think there's this general idea that's not uh, that that that's that's accurate. That you know, Kansas City's on the upswing. Yeah. Let me ask you a final question. We'll wrap up our discussion. Uh, the nastiest race I ever covered for any office ever was 1991 in Kansas City when the primary to replace Emanuel Cleaver. I mean, uh, Dick Berkeley uh, was conducted. Emanuel Cleaver, of course, the eventual winner of that campaign. But it was the famous Bryce Harris, you know, Committee of Ten and Dick King. And it was just brutal, just absolutely brutal. Do we expect this race to be that way? Um, I don't know. It, it could be. I, I think with, with social media now and with... Um, the velocity at which information and disinformation travels. I think every every campaign is going to have a certain sort of level of nastiness, right. and I, it depends on who gets into the general. I think if you have, if one of the African American candidates gets into the general with candor, you know, I mean, yeah, it it, it could get right. So that's when it in '91 it was all the primary. The 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 general was fine. It was Cleaver and Bob Llewellyn, and they knew each other, and they got a little prickly uh-huh. one to another, but it wasn't. Bryce Harris, it wasn't Dick King, uh, because there was so much perceived at stake with those two candidacies, and 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 I was just struck by the fact that aside from Jolie Justice, 
you heard statements from the other candidates saying, I'm not getting out. I, I'm not, you know, this guy isn't blowing me away. I, he, he's going to have to make a candor. We'll have to make a case, too. That suggests that people be, are willing to fight a little bit for this position. Well, and they'll, they'll probably have to. I mean, one of the things that Jolie told me, uh, which was part of her calculation for getting out of the mayor's race, was she was going to draw on much of the same base as Jason Kander, and she envisioned a scenario where the race would become divisive because... Yes. You know, candidates have to d- differentiate themselves, um, and you know, in- inevitably, it comes down to saying, "Here's what I can offer that this person can't," and then that person says, right. "No, I can't necessarily. That's not necessarily true." And then you know, it just cascades from there. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean, particular. You know, Jason Kander's going to have a target on his back as it relates to this election because he's the presumptive favorite just based on the name ID alone. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I think you will. I think you'll see. You know, and I don't know if it'll be necessarily personal attacks or going after family. Well, can or I just like and that. let me just interject something really quickly. I, I do discount. I've already seen some of this that it's going to be racially divisive, and I, I just don't think history suggests that's true. I mean, James mm-hmm. against Mike Burke was not mm-hmm. determined on racial. I mean, it may have been that African American votes helped Sly James. I'm not saying that wasn't the case, but it certainly wasn't argued on a racial basis. And Bob Llewellyn and Emmanuel Cleaver wasn't really a racial. Uh, argument. I mean, it was the first African American mayor, and people were excited about that. But it wasn't, it wasn't nasty in that sense, in my my recollection. So I, I don't, you know, people are already saying, boy, if it's Quentin Lucas against against Jason Kander, that could get really ugly. I just don't think history suggests that's true in Kansas City. Yeah, I don't think it'll be quite uh, as blunt or obvious as 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 we're talking about it. But the but race will take a different dynamic um, in the campaign when we're talking about issues like development on the east side, um, allocation of re- city resources, um, and you crime, know, th- safety, th- those safety. those all have lesser less obvious but still existent racial components to right. Them. And it, and both candidates will have to address them. Right. I just don't think you'll get a dynamic where. People say, well, the African-American candidate will do a better job necessarily on the east side just because he's African-American. And as a matter of fact, as we all well know, Sly James is not beloved east of Troost. No, I mean, no. the, the leaders over there. So I just think that that may be a little – that fear – we'll see what happens. But that fear may be a little overblown. I think if the wolves who raised candor want to come on the record, <laughs> I, I think it would, it would change the campaign. Probably, yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, great discussion. We've got a long way to go uh, in this race. And, of course, next time uh, we talk about this, we'll want to talk about council races and some of the other stuff sure. that's coming up as well. Steve Bockrot with The Star, Bill Turk with The Star, thanks so much for joining us. Sure. I'm Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star's editorial board. You have once again been on Deep Background.